Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Peter Coghill, Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week, we're discussing Chris's mother-in-law. Chris, tell us about your mother-in-law. Uh, well, it's not so much my uh, um, my mother-in-law, uh, who I obviously love dearly. Um, it's uh, about uh, more about the fact that she has um, recently reached uh, the age of seventy, and that means she's having to reapply for her driving license. Um, and so this got me thinking about um, kind of what a driving license is, why why we have them. Uh, and also, um, also this idea has been going through my head because um, it's been a recent TV series on, um, uh, on uh, ITV, uh, which has um, been looking at uh, drivers close to the age of a hundred and sort of assessing their ability to drive, and that's the whole the whole program. They've been following them around as they go and, through. And you're no spring chicken yourself. So. And uh, yeah, obviously, and Chris has you know, got a preoccupation with death and age and all sorts of that sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, so no, I've just but just just thinking about uh, you know this this process, and and of particular interest to me is the fact that as a um, as a seventy year old, you reapply for your license, but you don't have to take a test again. Well, it's just I think it's called renewal. I've I've checked, yeah. yes. and it's called renewal, which sounds a bit yeah. like a cult you can join somewhere yeah. in San Francisco. Well, I checked, I checked on Saga, which is definitely a cult you can join. In yeah. fact, you're kind of you join <laughs> just based on age. And yes, it's 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 just it's just an administrative process. There's no test. It's yeah. So every three years, you basically send off a form saying, "Can I have a new driving license, please?" And they say yes. And I, I think the idea is that it's to reaff- make you reaffirm and make you reassess whether or not you need to drive anymore. And to um, sweep up any of those drivers, those very infrequent drivers who might jump in a car and they've not been in a car for ten years, and they are more likely to have an accident than someone who is at yeah, least but a why regular is that age, driver. Basically. I mean, there, there is because obviously even normal people, not old people, but normal people, have to have to renew their license every ten years anyway. I, I, yeah, I think. Well, so I, think the, I think. I I don't know. I think the DVLA would probably like to do it to everybody, but it would be too much of a burden on them in terms of the administrative costs but also uh, there'd be a huge uproar of people's sort of inverted commas right to drive as being yeah. threatened i mean i mean but, you but, have to sorry go on well i was just going to say you know fundamentally the the question is does does having a driving license make you a safer driver or does everybody having driving licenses reduce risk on the road that that was essentially uh you know the the question that sprang sprang to mind. What, what do you mean? Do you, do you mean literally someone giving you a driving license? Does that make you safer? I think the logic, isn't it, is that the thing you have to do to get the driving license, which is learn to drive, is right. the thing that makes you safer. But at the point at which you have a driving license, does renewing that driving license and having to go through that process, which obviously has an an administrative cost associated with it, does that? make our roads safer yeah i mean so so i've i've tried to work out because i know there's always those hilarious stories aren't there about an 85 year old driving the wrong way down the the m1 and stuff um hilarious unless you're on the m1 yeah (laughs) and i i naturally assume that old people were demonstrably worse at driving but i have to say there isn't any evidence of this 
Um, the people who definitely are the worst drivers are uh, people between the ages of about 15 and 25. Well, let's say 17 and 25. Um, a bit like us. There, there, there isn't now old people do get into marginally more crashes and you might think, well, you know, that they are probably um, less likely to be on the road in the first place. So we might think the rate was higher. But as a cause of death, you know, something like if you're if you're 20, 25% of 20-year-olds who die, die from traffic accidents. Whereas uh, a tiny proportion, it's like 1% or something of, you know, 80-year-olds die from traffic accidents. That's because they're all dying be. of something yeah, else. It could be. <laughs> and, and of course, you know, but then on the other hand, they're more likely to die in a traffic accident anyway. Like, you know, a minor and a minor graze of the bumper might kill some of them, but it, it doesn't. So the, the point is that there there isn't, even though there are hints that they might be more dangerous, there is no there is no sort of body of statistics I can find that's demonstrably show that they are, uh, you know, more dangerous as drivers. So, so, so there's that. There's, that we can't, and and obviously, organisations like Saga are very keen to point this out. But I, honestly, it's not there in the stats. You can't. There's no stats there which which unambiguously show that old people but, are, are but dangerous. But also, I mean, you know, so so regardless of whether you know. Um, uh, having a li- you know, in order to qualify for a license now, uh, you have to have passed um, you have to have passed a test. So there is then the question of whether having to pass a test or not makes you a safer driver. Uh, you know, and and um, that you know that's that's an in- that's something which is quite quite difficult to sort of find find evidence for. Obviously, we've we've you know. Uh, we've had um, a sort of mandatory driving test for for decades and decades now, uh, but initially you just applied for for a license. I think it was 1903. The uh, Driving License Act came in, and you simply applied for a license, uh, and you were given one, and you didn't have to pass a test. But then, obviously, they introduced a, a, a you know a, a mandatory driving test. Um, and but I think you know, it was you if due to some sort of grandfather clause you. Uh, you didn't have to apply for one if you already had one. So, That's right. So yeah. now, now I come to think of it, that could be an explanation for why traditionally we think of old people as bad drivers because they uh, may never know, have done a test. Thirty in the or forty place. years ago, old people didn't didn't have to have done a test at all. They might not have learned to drive. Yeah, but I don't think that's why we think of them as being bad drivers. Well, I I, well, I well I, let's, let's just say that there might be a cultural memory of old people being crap drivers because they actually used to be. Uh, what I'm, yeah, but what you're about to say is no, we think of them as bad drivers because they're all they're all demented and doddery and can't change the gear shift and they stay in uh, in second gear in the middle lane of the. But there's no evidence. What I'm saying is there's no evidence for that. No, no, no. There, there might well sounds be evidence. plausible, no, 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 but it's no. not. So, because hold on, this is something that James Bond said actually, which actually he says something um, terribly sexist, which is that um women are often safe drivers but they're rarely good drivers right and we're talking about the same sort of thing i think which is the um doddery old people which i'm not that far from and um, maybe they're already um they're just practically not terribly good at it but they're not they certainly don't take the risks that you would usually associate with 
um, accidents. Well, what's what's the, sorry? What's the definition of good here? What does good constitute? Okay. Not dying seems to be quite a key part of it. Yeah, I mean, he? he's he's ruined quite a few cars <laughs> yeah. in his time, hasn't he, James Bond? So yeah, let's, exactly. yeah, let's yeah. not make him the. Um, but the also, the, also his car. If he drives it off a cliff, it turns into a boat. So yeah. it's you know it's zero risk. For yeah, him. it's not fair. But, 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 but also logically, logically, from what we've been saying so far, I love it when you say logically because it's guaranteed that something completely <laughs> illogical is about to come out of your gob. Well, you, I know, you're right. So logically, we shouldn't let people drive until they reach 60 or something, because we've already said that they're the safest people. Well, I hope we shouldn't uh, let young people... Yeah. And so, yeah, and young people should just not... Yeah. No one's allowed to drive until they're 60-odd. Well, I think, yeah. I think they're, they're, you know, if someone said... we're gonna, Well, the, the problem is, is it are they bad drivers because they're young, or are they bad drivers because they're they inexperienced? Any experience, yes. Yeah, I mean, I would I say... I because they're young just, as well, though. Well, we don't know, because we can't tease the two things apart. But, uh, what I can no, tell you no, no, is that I, can, never, I didn't can, pass my can. driving... We, we can't. Can. How we can because how you would do it is you divide it up by by sex. So if we if we sort of put aside um, youth for a moment, so most accidents they're not just by young people; they're by young men, um, and so therefore we can separate it from from age because men do have different characteristics; they do drive differently. I know, to but women. but young men and young women have a vastly higher rate of uh, accidents than middle aged men and middle aged women. That's a much bigger gap than the gap between men and women, right? Mm. Men and women are not... The, the difference... Are women sure? are safe. Women are, are sure? safer. Yeah, they are safer, but they're not massively safer. But middle-aged people are massively safer than young people at driving, right? So, you know, there's that, that's, that's all. That's, that, that's what but, the stats but, So, I mean, the, the, the essence of this was whether or not um, making somebody do a, a test, accrediting somebody effectively makes them safer at, at doing something. And, you know, this is um, something that's quite difficult to, to look at because we've always had the test. So we can't we can't remove it as a, um, you know, as a sort of a factor in our, in our analysis. I mean, there have been times during the Second World War, they stopped doing driving tests because all the people doing driving tests went off to um, ration fuel, you know, be involved in fuel rationing, and the same was true after the Suez Crisis. But those um, and and actually accidents went up during the Second World War. But wait, that wait, is stop. Wait, what? Wait, hang on. You're saying that all of the people who were driving instructors or driving examiners, examiners, all yeah. got drafted into the fuel rationing corps. Yes, and I, then I, that happened in the ninety when OPEC formed and during the fuel uh, crisis in the, in the 70s. In, no, in the in uh, the Suez Crisis. In oh, the, sorry, in the, the 50s, Suez yeah. Crisis. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, and I imagine the reason for that was because the examination process was, uh, you know, they were they were sort of civil servants who could be reallocated somewhere. Um, but the, the point is, you know, um, you wouldn't have necessarily expected a, a blip in accidents. Accidents did go up in the Second World War, but that's more attributed to things like the blackout and, uh, you know, com- massive changes in, in conditions. But if you look at um, countries that... Uh, have more or less stringent um, driving uh, recommendation and, and, and then look at the effect that that has on, on driver safety. Um, apparently, Brazil is somewhere where... You, there's, I haven't found any methodical studies of this, but looking at um, places where they have more stringent uh, licenses and use, um, licensing processes and, and using those as case studies, Brazil is apparently very difficult to go... Th- it's a very... Uh, robust testing process and um, no not true no it's not actually okay it might have changed recently right but actually I was horrified to learn when I lived there that when you take your driving test and actually up until your driving test you're not actually allowed to go on the roads 
you're not allowed to drive on the roads. You can only drive on a public highway once you have passed your test. Right. And so, and and so, where you do all your learning is on essentially what is a huge park car park with bollards on it maybe they're measuring stringency wrong yes yes i think that must be the case that they whereas we have provisional licenses and you you get yes that you're not permitted to drive until um but but fun you know um brazil has a much higher you know uh, road traffic incidents uh, um accident incidents than countries like the uk um in south korea apparently they are very rigorous on the um the health check aspect of it um which you know is analogous to us i suppose um getting uh 70 year olds to to reapply with it with there being a sort of you know a, a, a health implication there about you know eyesight or hearing perhaps uh and south korea has again higher um uh levels of of uh traffic accidents than um countries like the uk yeah, i'd or never European i'd never thought countries. of this but it does this is it, i i'd never even considered the idea that getting rid of a driving test might might actually not have a big impact on road safety but it can, if actually thinking thinking that it's experience which uh is the biggest you know predictor of whether or not you're a good driver which the statistics kind of suggest Maybe actually the difference between getting tested or, you know, passing a test and not passing a test uh, compared to the difference between, you know, not being not having driven before versus having driven for 10 years is so massive. Um, Maybe maybe it really doesn't make that much difference. And and I think the the sort of broader, um, uh, you know, thing that that I started thinking about is, is accreditation processes in general where you have to behave in a certain way to pass some test and you then get given a, a license to, to do something. And this, this a, a, applies to us in particular um, for our sort of I, IT security. We went through a process recently uh, and it made me start thinking, does that make us more cyber secure, that process? Does driving make you a better driver or does it just make you behave during an assessment in a particular, in a particular fashion? And then, you know... Um, after that, you then start, you know, driving with your eyes closed or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think this this is the um, brings us back to our old friend signalling. You know that the not not signal mirror signal manoeuvre type signalling, but uh, signalling where you show that you can do something, and that process of showing that you can do it isn't the thing that actually makes you better, but you might as well act like it is. So, classic example being something like getting a degree, where uh, people who have degrees. When you, if you, if you, uh, you know, look at their productivity, and you do a sort of comparison, like for like comparison, people who've actually got a degree and people who are exactly the same but just didn't go and get a degree, but have, have all the other characteristics, they're equally productive. But the thing is that what it does do is show that you are able to, you know, go to lectures and write essays and do all these other things, which are, uh, you know, are correlated with the things that people want. Well, I've and been I, to and university I, and I can't do either of those. Two right, <laughs> but I mean, I know it's a catastrophic failure of the education system, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I think in the context, if we think about if we think about that in the context of this, um, you know, the driving renewal, it's not the renewal process particularly. Maybe it's simply the fact that someone is compostmentous enough to be able to go through the renewal process. The fact that someone is able to fill in a form and send it off tells you quite a lot of information about the fact that they're still with it, they're still able to manage their diary, still able to fill in a form. That might be pretty useful information. Um yeah, I just want to bring in Peter at this stage. Uh, anything to comment at this stage, particularly on this 
signaling idea. Signaling idea. Yeah, well, uh, Nick's rather stolen my thunder on that. I was going to try and broaden the subject to to you know having a particular license or a particular credential. What does that tell you about someone's competence? Um, I but I wouldn't it be nice though if you could spot all those self-educated, extremely productive people um, that send in CVs to your company without uh, with some kind of test, some sort of method that tease out those people who are potentially at a lower price point in terms of the, the, the sort of the labor market because they haven't been to Oxford and Cambridge and places who are probably just as good if not better than those sort of um, art historians from from Oxbridge who seem to have be highly self-entitled yeah but the thing is about sig- signals is they only work if they're costly. They have to be... There isn't a cheap way of getting signals. I mean, that's the thing. Mm. So the... If well, but I'm suggesting, the, can we design... Can we can we engineer a test that provides... Gives somebody an opportunity to signal in a different way that's more telling? But doesn't that sort of happen with standardization, standardized tests for the civil service, for example? Exactly, yeah. And, so, and job interviews are a good example. So, you know, you... you, you, you interview somebody about their competence so rather than say oh what school did you go to and who's your dad you ask them give me an example of when this sort of thing has happened and what did you do in in in, in response to that which i've always thought would and then really you say when i went to this school but... my dad told me that yes uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give me an op- give me an example of when you're really really disappointed yeah, though I but, I've, but I my mean, dad didn't give me the job at his company but um, I, I think competency-based <laughs> interviews are always awful you just make stuff up. Have you I mean, have you have you actually had to interview people? I have interviewed people. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, the good thing about competency-based interviews, from an interviewer's point of view, is you are able to collect information in a much more structured way. You know, you ask the same five questions uh, to all the candidates, and then you have your your evidence there, and you can go right. This, you know, this guy said this, and and you know, it's that is better than a kind of you know what sort of a chap are you type interviews where you you really you don't have it's much harder to lie about i mean this is why this is you know again signaling is much it's just harder it is possible to lie in a competency-based interview but it's harder to lie that you know if you have a del- someone who's self-deluded and narcissistic they will tell you that they're amazing and brilliant at everything and the the point about narcissists is they're often quite plausible Whereas someone who someone who uh, is a narcissist and has never done anything of, of note in their life has to then also put in the effort of making things up and lying, and it's much easier to be caught caught out in an interview where you're having to deliver facts. That's that's the idea. That's why now look, it's not perfect. The problem with these kinds of situations is that there isn't ever going to be a signal which is going to perfectly divide people. But um, you know, but it, but it but it's better. It's an improvement. <clears throat> I've just I've heard actually recently that the civil service are abandoning them again. Are they? Yeah. What the competency-based questions or the? I think so. I don't so have enough information. I shouldn't raise. I've got no information about this, so I shouldn't really have brought it up. Yeah. But uh, maybe they demand yeah. too high a standard, and they're yeah. not recruiting enough yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's wrap up. I want to talk about driving. Nick, are you a good driver? No, I'm a terrible, terrible driver, and I uh, I hate driving. But see, crucially, I passed when I was thirty. And I, I have this feeling that people who learn to drive early haven't learned enough about their own immortality and their own their own cognitive <laughs> limitations. And they and so that sort of uh, total misplaced confidence gets them through the first few years. And then at the end of it, they've got enough experience to compensate 
for however good they are at driving. Whereas when you're 30 and you learn to drive, well, I mean, I learned to drive when I was 17, but I quite rightly failed my test twice and gave up for, until I became a dad. And I thought, you can't be a dad who can't drive. That's illegal in this country. So, so I, I decided that uh, you know I had to had to pass my test, and um, and then uh, you know since then I've really had to force myself to get to drive down to the shops and things. Uh, but I hate it. I mean, I I can't stand driving. I find it unbelievably stressful. Uh, I feel like I have to pay attention to everything. I haven't got to, ever got near that stage where you can sort of relax and just go, well, I'm in control here. Um, and I have to think about everything. You know, every every time I change lanes, I've got to think, oh, what should I be looking at? What yeah, am I, no, you know? I, so yeah, so I I think, and I so I I would I would say that's entirely a lack of lack of experience, and it's experience that I'm just not ever going to be able to gain because I'm so deterred from driving. Yeah. No, you don't surprise me. You know, your bearing is that of a person who should be kept away from three tons of vehicle, you know, moving metal. So, yeah, um, we're not getting him to drive HGVs just yet. (laughs) Um, Chris? Am I a good or bad driver? Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm definitely a very different driver than the driver I was as a a 17-year-old boy. Yeah. Uh, and having children in doing the back. donuts in the car park, <laughs> yeah, having <laughs> having having your your genetic inheritance in the back of the car is is definitely um, something I think would would uh, yeah temper temper uh, young men's um, driving. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, I'd like to say the same, and I'd like to think I'm a good driver and very different driver to the one that I once was. However, just this very morning, I was in a rush to get to the station, and I had my you know three offspring in the back of the car with me and i did make a a foolish sort of pulling out at a junction right in front of a white van man who made his feelings about me and my driving um expertise very clear to me and um yeah no i still sort of do silly things i guess yeah at least you didn't let them drive true yeah that would be irresponsible yeah uh peter good driver i think i'm exceeding the average i think i've had i've had a a similar number uh, sort of a very mean number of uh accidents and tickets and all sorts of other things um i i don't like driving either i think it's incredibly stressful and tedious activity i can't wait for driverless cars i can't wait just to outsource that and so i can read a book in the back um uh, yes yeah, so i i but i but I, I i am consciously cautious and dry and my girlfriend is forever bemoaning the fact that i'm not driving fast enough or ushering on the car in front uh, <laughs> more but i just don't see the point because you, you never you never get there much quicker. Yeah, I, th- I I have this feeling that there's basically there's nervous drivers and then there's deluded drivers. I don't think you should ever not feel nervous when you're driving. If you're if you're relaxed and comfortable and you feel in control, you're wrong because you're not, and you're gonna die. You're just Stop an accident it. waiting yeah, to happen, exactly. despite. The, all the statistics that show that traveling yeah. by. I have to say, when we sort of, you know, it, we're, we're just turning to the Aleph Insights um, Cognitive Engineering Podcast Roadshow, probably the people I would want driving the car would either be Peter or Chris, probably not. We're, not you we'll, wouldn't want me or Nick. Well, we'll get a driver. Well, we could <laughs> get a driver. Because I, I love driving, but I, I, don't love, I don't love driving. I love being driven. I love staring out the window. Uh, we'll so we'll, we'll be on we'll be on our own private jet. So yeah, don't but, I, but I don't I don't trust anyone who's who's my age or younger to drive cars. I want it to be a fifty five year old man called Reg who got aviators on. That's the only the only <laughs> acceptable driver as far Reg, as I'm concerned. Reg, we're waiting for your call. A, yeah. a blue blazer and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, polished shoes. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, we'll stop there. Um, okay, well, look, thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. So I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Peter Coghill, Nick Hare, and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.